Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, this is Leanne Nguyen speaking to you from New York. I welcome you back into the conversation. I have been talking to you for six weeks now. We have six more weeks to go together. Yes, our time together is limited, just as is our time on this earth, in this life. You know, when the network approached me to do a pilot show, I agreed to try this until July. And when I did that, three months seemed like such a long time. It seemed such a daunting stretch. And we're now halfway through the contracted period for the pilot, and I have found so many of you from so many different places on this world, on this globe, and there is so much more to say. Each hour just zips by, and each hour of making contact with you is always full of hope and, and dread, I must confess. And each hour always ends with me feeling so full of questions. And, and of gratitude towards my guests and towards you, silent, intimate strangers out there. I, I always feel so grateful to know that I was accorded the freedom to ask my question about life, about being human, that my question got heard by you who tuned in, and always, always so thrilled that I can make contact with fellow human beings, because that is what this show is about. Um, you know, when I was uh, learning English in France, one day I picked up a copy of um, the novel Howard's End. I know, right? <laughs> what a novel to learn English from. Uh, why that one? Well, I, I, I was fresh off the boat, folks, and dirt poor in Paris. So they sent me to the basement of a church that was sponsoring refugees, you know, to pick out some uh, free winter coats. And there I found a pile of paperbacks by E.M. Forster. So, you know, free books. On the first page of the novel uh, that I picked up, I saw the phrase, only to connect. I knew what each of the words uh, meant. I understood the vocabulary, and the sentence was short and simple. So I thought, all right, I can pick up some more English vocabulary from this dude. Um, only to connect. And only now uh, do I begin to understand what an English dead white male from the last century was saying about us to us, was asking us to do. I want to connect with you. I want you to connect with others in your life, in your world. And most of all, my deepest wish for this show, as well as my enduring ambition in my work, is that you will connect with yourself. 30-odd years of traveling the world and through different cultures and delving into so, so many lives, I have learned this thing and I have made this my religious credo. And it is that every life is worth saving and celebrating. Every mind is worth cherishing. Every human being is worth knowing and loving. 
We're all of the same makeup. We all look for the same things and suffer from the same things. Millionaires and teachers, straight and gay, Jewish and Muslim, we all try to do the same thing in this life and end up in the same place. Because life, this life for us humans is a great mystery, a great gift, but also one hell of an equalizer. It doesn't spare anyone. It doesn't bless anyone more than others. It's there for us to discover and partake. It's there to watch us turn ourselves into fools and gods, lovers and victims, makers of beauty and destroyers of nature. And to paraphrase Chekhov, another favorite dead white male in my personal pantheon, Life, if you don't learn to laugh at it, it will kill you. <laughs> so I still do think six weeks into this that it is worth to it to, to, to ask the question of, of what are we? What makes us human? What are we doing with ourselves? What are we doing with each other at this time, on this show, on this earth, in this life? So the value of this show, as is the value of our living on this earth, is not in the answer or the solution. It's in the question that we ask of ourselves about our lives. And the value is in the process of posing the question, in the experience of reflecting on it and trying for it with other fellow humans. So let's continue. Now, many of you have raised an eyebrow about today, divorce, what would a matrimonial lawyer have to say about the human condition? <laughs> well, if you don't know and have to ask that question, I say this, you lucky man, you blessed woman who is naive to what matrimonial lawyers get to do, have to do, and know about what humans do to one another, about what it takes to form a family, to keep a family, or to watch a family torn apart not by war or sickness or the random catastrophes of life, but by love gone awry and by hurt and fear, fear and hurt that calcify into hate and sometimes sheer stupidity and madness. So divorce is another glimpse into the business of, of being human, of living. My guest today, uh, Bonnie Rabin, is the lawyer to go to in New York City when the foundation of your family life needs saving or protecting. Before she founded the firm with three other women, Bonnie already had a long, productive, and kick-ass career as an advocate for children's rights and a champion of battered women. Uh, I found out that many years ago, she was the legal director of an organization in New York um, <clears throat> called Sanctuary for Families, which is really the haven uh, that services a lot of women fleeing domestic violence, battling homelessness, mental illness, deportation, and poverty, and various other difficult circumstances. And I know about the place because I would often get called on by the lawyers working there uh, to help out with cases uh, involving, you know, illegal immigrants or battered women who are in court and need an expert witness. So for a short while, it seemed Bonnie and I may have been on the same uh, coordinates in the vast jungle of New York City, but we didn't meet there. This is how I met Bonnie. 
Um, it was a few years ago. I was working on a high-profile asylum case involving an interracial, binational lesbian couple, one of which was about to be deported because she didn't have legal papers here. So the case was picked up by one of those uh, humongous corporate law firms as a pro bono case. Now, this was around the time when there was a legal fight gearing up about uh, marriage equality uh, for gay people to have the right to, to get married. Why? I don't know. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> the The law firm that was uh, that retained me was hoping to turn this particular case into a test case, into a fight for marriage rights, and they were hoping to take it to the Supreme Court um, and into fame. Well, that didn't happen because... Um, Roberta Kaplan, another lawyer in New York, picked up Edie Windsor, and that case became the case for gay rights and marriage equality um, in the Supreme Court. So the case, the asylum case I was involved in that was supposed to be, you know, the famous case arguing for gay men and and, and women um, for the right to be married and and therefore to sponsor the immigrant partners for a green card, that case remained just an ordinary asylum case where we tried to argue for the right of a gay woman to remain in the U.S because, you know, terrible things do happen to gay people in her so-called shithole country, to quote our president of the moment. Terrible things such as corrective rape and beating and imprisonment and having your child taken away from you because you are deemed a degenerate. And the shithole country on the case uh, was Russia. Do you know that, Mr. Trump? And so as we finished the case, my personal life blew up and I decided to separate from my then domestic partner. Now, we were not married, but we had a child together. So I asked these expensive white glove, you know, killer lawyers uh, of international merger and acquisition firm to recommend to me a divorce lawyer just, you know, to talk to, to consult with. And so they sent me to Bonnie Rabin. I think it was because she had just finished a big case, a landmark case on same-sex parental rights called Deborah H. uh, versus Janice R. Now, I knew about Deborah H. uh, versus Janice R. because it was in the news. It was a a tide-turning case. But I didn't know anything about matrimonial lawyers or divorce. I know lots about gender-based violence and, and war and deportation. But I didn't know anything about this other kind of, of trauma and massacre among family members and intimate former lovers. Anyway, so I showed up and Abani listened to my situation for about 15 minutes and then predicted the next seven years of my life. You know, the way that a really good radiologist can see disasters in your body that you don't see yet. (laughs) So, you know, my perspective at the time was this. I used to be hot for someone. Now I'm not anymore. We decided to be a family, so we planned for a child. I bore the child. I gave birth to her. I mostly took care of her in her early infancy years. So I just want to keep doing that. Oh, yes, we do own a house, and I like to just, you know, sell it and move on. What, Bonnie? Is there a legal father? Well, yeah, not really. You know, there was an old friend who agreed to donate his sperm, and he's around, and he's known sometimes as daddy, but he's not under birth certificate. It's really simple, right? Can I just, like, you know, dispose of this in in, in one hour? What's the problem, Bonnie? (laughs) So I spent the next seven years finding out what the problem was. Bonnie saw what the problem would be right off the bat in that hour. People. People and fear and greed and hurt and hate, possessiveness, unforgiveness. 
And she saw, I found, I, I got to find out, you know, how the law is set by human beings to reflect the needs of people and to protect people's rights. But it also comes to function as this impersonal, implacable tyrant that dictates how you have to behave in order to be deemed legitimate and how you ought to live in order to have your life be recognized as worthy of protection. I learned from my foray into family court that a good lawyer is an astute diagnostician of human lives. They grasp where you have been and how you got there. They get to see up close your longings and terrors. They can project to which cliff or which harbor you are bound for. Now, the journey in between is the unknown and a function of sheer dumb luck. The luck of your lawyer's ethics and skills, of the timing of your case in the trends and currents of history and the whims of the system. I also learned that when you go through a disaster, when you are forced out of the comfortable, safe bounds of your life, who you travel with really determines your fate. Where you end up in your life as an ethical being, who you become at the end of the difficult, wounding journey, be it divorce or war or illness or whatever, how you go on to live the next chapter of your life is a function of the decisions, the choices, the turns on the road that you take along the way. And the luck, the unknown in that journey, is the human beings that you meet along the way who help you listen to your better angels, who help you let the light enter through the crack, as opposed to steering you toward darkness and hate. I'm not talking here about winning. I'm talking about being, about being ethical, which on this show, according to me, is about figuring out every step along the way how to exist, how to be a human being with other human beings. Before we start the conversation, Bonnie, let me share with you two moments with her during my custody ordeal um, that to me, uh, sum up in a way life, but also shed a lot of light on what a good lawyer um, can or should be. Um, the first moment was in the in the beginning, you know. So we entered litigation. It was it was a terrible ordeal. Terrible, ugly things happened, and I lived in this terror, you know, of losing my child and and a lot of other things in my life. So. Um, my ex had uh, a while back committed um, immigration fraud, so I had that card. So I came to Bonnie and I said, you know, can we just use this card? You know, it's a high-placed political figure exposed for immigration fraud. We can really use this to wrap up the case nicely. Can you please threaten them with this or use this in some way? So my brilliant lawyer, who's supposed to be a shark, uh, said, I don't practice that way. We're going to win this case the right way. Thank God for that. Now, I learned in that moment that I was capable of hate, that I, the human rights advocate and therapist for those whose lives have been destroyed, am capable of wanting to destroy another person's life. I'm no different from those other hateful, murderous, fear-filled human beings that I know about through my work. But I also learned that I have a choice, and my lawyer helped me grasp that. A choice to turn this way or that way, to live through the wounding with grace and reach for the light 
as opposed to giving in to fear and sealing the wound shut with hate. Another thing that I learn is that to do that, to manage that difficult choice, you cannot do it alone. You need support, luck, guidance. You need the urging and the faith of other human beings to follow out, to, 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 to carry out destruction, to follow hate. That's easy. You can do that alone. You can rely on your ingenuity. You know, I watch people, I watch children, for example, at a playground. When they are alone, they go off and they find a bird or an aunt, an, an ant. It's my English here, uh, second language. They stomp on it, you know, on their own, of their own device and impulse. No need to ask others for how to do it. But then when they see a beautiful flower or a fragile-looking creature and they want to hold it and touch it and take it home, they look around. They look to the adults. They look to others and they ask, what do I do? Can I touch it this way? Can I take it home? Can you help me do this? So to choose the ethical choice of the light, to choose to behold your vulnerability and terror and to remain human, you need other humans. You cannot do it alone. Um, you know what? I'm going to save the second moment for later <laughs> because I see here that we are approaching the first uh commercial break. Uh, so I, I want to say hello to uh, to have you say hello to Bonnie first before we go off and come back and talk to her. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> oh, yes, evening, welcome. Where you are. No, no, we're in New York. Well, although, you know, there are people apparently from, from China or Hungary or Phoenix. So, uh, but welcome. Welcome to Voice America. And um, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the conversation. Now, before we go into the break, uh, can I just prime you and, and, and ask you to ponder this very important question before we, we go, um, you know, which is that, was I one of your favorite clients? <laughs> of course you are. I don't have to wait for the commercial break for that. Okay, okay good. I just are. want to put it in before we run out of time. <laughs> All right. You know, it's one of those things you don't dare ask because you don't want yeah. to kind of like compromise the process. <laughs> anyway, the all right. I'm, the question I'm usually asked is, is my case the most difficult case you have ever had? I get asked that, oh, weekly. <laughs> uh-huh. the or is it, always yes, because it is. Oh, really? I'll explain that later. Sure. Okay. Okay. Why don't we just start with that when we come back? We'll be okay. right back, people, after a few minutes. Bye-bye. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself. 
to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right. We're back with Bonnie Rabin. So, Bonnie, why, why, how is every case always difficult because we are human beings and nobody has the same exact experience the same exact education raising family life connections and it means for the family lawyer that they have to kind of understand all of that not just of their own client but of the client's whole life and what it is they think they want to achieve in this process of either uncoupling or redefining what their family life is going to be. So people will say, think, oh, you're just hearing that all again for the same, at the same, for the same time. And I'm like, no, not at all, actually. It's, it's new experiences, new life, and, and frankly, often a new law and paradigm to deal with. Right. I mean, family law, I mean, is, is, is it the one area where there's constant catching up? Because it involves people and what they do in terms of loving and making a family, and it's it's it's, it's changing at warp speed. It, it is. This, there's tsunamis of change over almost every part of it. Not just the law, but there's also um, what the policies are and what the trends are. So we're not just working with the law that's on the books or the case law that's interpreting the legislation, but we're also dealing with what are the policies? Are we talking about? working from joint custody back, or are, you, are we working from a sole custody construct to somebody else trying to re- get custody from a, sole, from a sole custody situation? So that changes all the time. Are we talking about a trend towards, quote-unquote, mother's rights or a trend towards father's rights? Are we talking about a trend towards 50-50 sharing of uh, physical custody? Are we talking about primary caretaker? So these are the types of concepts over the last 20 years that get defined, redefined um, mm-hmm. constantly, constantly. And what do you think that there is any one thing that would drive uh, these concepts? What determines the premium of, of each of these concepts? Is it sort of like what, what would make for a good family life? What would contribute to stability in society? What would be the best interest of the child? Why the changing, the fluctuations in these concepts? 
that, that's everyone's favorite phrase, of course. It, it's certainly in custody land. You know, the best interest of the child. What does that mean? But ironically, uh-huh. um, there are all these factors that one looks at for the so-called best interest of the child. But children don't actually have rights that are delineated in, 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 in court. It's really parents who have entitlements. So it's kind of a, a, a false fight that way when we start talking about the best interest of the child because it's really mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the entitlement of the parental rights. Mm-hmm. Who thought up that phrase, by the way? Um, it, it evolved over time, over, as, as I think most people know, at least in the United States, the concept of children, children were the property. Children were the property mm-hmm. of, the, of, of, the, of the husband, frankly. Um, I mean, so much has changed. If you, you ever hear the phrase, um, nature semper certa est, it's a Latin mm-hmm. phrase that means the mother is always certain. So uh-huh. in these kind of pre-Roman law principles, we knew who the mother was, who we didn't know was who the father was. And, and, <laughs> and over years, which is why, if you think about it, the father, the father, by definition, the husband, had property of the child because nobody knew who the actual father necessarily really was, but they always knew who the mother was. Here right. we are, a few hundred years later, and the mother could be anyone. There could be a different egg. There could be a host. There could be sperm from one, one man. There could be sperm from a father, from a boyfriend, from a friend. It is a different world. And that's right. just one aspect of the kind of uh, familial chaos that, that can go on. But right. there's also other changes in life that have made differences. We live longer. Knock on wood. Most of us, <laughs> are, if we're lucky, are going to live a lot longer than we did a few hundred years ago. People don't die when they're 30 and 35. They, they, they live a much longer time. And as I like to often say to clients, you know, one thing's going to happen first, either death or divorce. That's the way it goes. <laughs> what about and, paying off your student loan debts? <laughs> when well, is that going to happen? It's a death, divorce, student debt. But, 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 you know, people, it doesn't matter whether you've been together five years often or 45 years. And I do have cases where people have been together 40 years, 50 years, and are trying to uncouple. You can imagine right. the trauma that, that, that's involved the, in the that. The great divorce but, phenomenon. The great divorce phenomenon. I used to call right. it the Viagra phenomenon because, <laughs> it, it, frankly, it, it, 20, 25 years ago when Viagra became very um, uh, useful. The drug of miracle. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 There, were, there were men who, who, who found that they could have another sexual life and perhaps a woman who wasn't as interested in, in doing that. And, and um, we had a... A slew of those divorces. I think they were mm-hmm. hidden under the term "gray divorce," but that's not really what they were. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but no, so you were ta- we were talking about the phrase "best interest of the child" and and the notion of of, of property, of yes. uh, who owns what and who owns whom in Correct. a family. Correct. And so, so, so things have shifted was, now. You say? Oh, oh, tremendously. I mean, the, the father would would presumptively get custody if if the woman were trying to leave the, the relationship. And, and then, over the years, um, they became the tender years doctrine, where the new presumption was that for a young child, you know, baby two, three, four, five, six, up to 10 or 11 years old, the presumption was that the child would be with the mother, unless she was found to be fit, unfit in some way. Right. That, I mean, from, from, as a psychologist, you know, I hear the parallel. To, I mean, I hear the influence, right, of cultural sociological Correct. trends, which is Correct. the whole literature on early attachment. That probably influenced yes. a lot, that policy. Yes, and there was the a time. lot of focus on that. But as mm-hmm. this kind of, um, uh, this, this 
mother's rights and father's rights, women's rights and men's rights started to kind of come to this little pinnacle, I think the court mm-hmm. has found that it has almost no choice but, at least for now, until something else happens, at least for now to say, and this is, this is the speak, this is the current speak. Children have the right to be with both parents. Both parents have the right to be with the children. Um, very often there isn't a, 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 as it was traditional, a mother staying at home and a father working. So they're both usually working. Every, everyone's working one to two jobs. Why should one parent have less time with, with, with the children than the other parent? And that's um, culturally, culturally right now um, where most people go. And when I say people, I mean mm-hmm. the court system, the so-called justice in family law in the family court system. And, and of course, you're at also the, the literature, by the way, also the literature showing that presumably, you know, that, that uh, both parents being involved would be good for the child's development. Right. But, the, but people also say if there's a lot of conflict, you know, if there's so much conflict between the two people and the conflict shows up in every transition between the, the child, then maybe that isn't such a great idea. Or if there's one parent who is being mm-hmm. um, very denigrating of the other parent and, and you know, to an almost um, a situation in which it's intolerable for the child, then a judge might say or a court might say, that's not a safe place for the child. Mm-hmm. It's not good for them from a psychological point of view as, as they get older. Mm-hmm. But even, right. even with that, even with that, because there's always a, um, a, 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 a concept that, that the, the court is looking to to figure out how to address its cases and then a backlash. So even with that, we've come to, doesn't matter what each parent is doing, uh, just keep them more separate from each other. So even mm-hmm. if it means having one week with one parent and one week with the other, and the, the only transition is at a school then it doesn't matter how much denigration is actually going on because as long as the child is with each parent, that's what's important. And, mm-hmm. and those are the kinds of trends that we have to actually work with. And if you think about it, the, the more that happens, the less there is an actual focus on the actual individuals who are seeking justice in, in the family uh, law uh, uh, milieu. Now, justice is... A funny and interesting concept that, that, that you just throw in here. What does justice have to do when a family breaks up, when, when people don't want to be together anymore? Right. So, so, the, so the undoing of the, of, of the family, which is really what's happening, whether it's two people or By the way, what I mean, people. like when you, when you say justice, you know, it makes me think like, so do people seek re- reparation? They seek... Uh, they seek vengeance. They that they seek to redress some some hurt, some wrong through right. a divorce. Well, I, sometimes, um, you know, as as you know um, from your own experience as a psychologist, that the betrayal, the the feeling of of, of, of loss of trust, you know, the grief, the absence of and loss of of, of love and security, all of that that has kept a family. Intact, even if it's crazy inside, despite its dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? But it's the, we're still a family, and the world knows us as a family, and we conduct ourselves as a family, and we have certain expectations because of that. When that starts to un, undo, especially if it's not with the consent of one of the parties, then mm-hmm. you, you really see people um, really at their worst. We, we, we have a little saying sometimes. We say, in criminal law, you see bad people at their best, and in matrimonial law, you see good people at their worst. 
and not to over-stereotype, <laughs> but, but there is an element of truth in that. Right. Because most people are good people. They want to is be it good true? people. What? Yeah, is it what true that, that the first um, uh, metal detector that was ever installed was yes. in family court? That's right. They not, were not, family, not, not criminal. Yeah, family yeah. yeah, not in the criminal court. People weren't worried about what was going to happen in the criminal uh. court. They were worried about what was going to happen in the family court because people... You know, the first, the, do you remember there used to be actually a defense that something was a crime of passion, right? Right. It was actually a defense at one point. Not anymore, of course. Uh-huh. Because, uh-huh. again, that has changed. What, well. is, what is now, what is the defense du jour in, in family court? When, when you try your cases, what do you seize on the most? I, I, I try to focus on um, keeping keeping out of that very negative fray, as you know, and, and really trying to focus on how we're going to move forward. Because the, the, the matrimonial court is not the place to have the war. You know, a lot of people, no matter how many times you tell them that and how many times you show them that it's going to be, a, be negative to them, they really can't control it. They can't control themselves. And as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, one of our main roles is advice and counsel. And I've had many clients say to me, you know, you're acting like my therapist. Are you my therapist? They know, but my, my role is to advise and counsel you to do, you know, what's right for you, what I know you really want at the end of the day, at the end of the day. Not for you to have a playground to have an argument in, but for, to really get you what you say you want and need and you're entitled to. And trying to keep clients on that course is, is not always that easy. Mm. Now, you try to hone in to what your client wants, but don't you have to balance it against what is possible, what the law, what current society says they can do with their family? Yes. I mean, the, you know, I still think the law is pretty flexible, um, more flexible now than ever in some ways. Uh, Why so, is that? Why, why do you think that? Because it used to be very, very much more black and white. As I said, you knew who the father was, mm. you knew who the mother was. Um, mm. even, even in terms of same-sex relationships, it was very, very clear that unless you were married, you couldn't have a child in common, right? And in, in let, you couldn't adopt the same-sex child, so you didn't have a legal relationship. So it was very black and white, right? So if you couldn't marry and you couldn't adopt your, your partner's child, then, then the child was always going to be belonging to either the legal adoptive parent or the biological parent. It was, it was plain as can be. Well, th- that's been the largest tsunami of change of all in the last 25 years. So even 26 years ago, in New York State, it was very clear from the Court of Appeals that unless you were the legally adoptive parent or you were the biological parent, you were not going to be uh, declared a parent. And if you're not a parent, you don't have rights. You don't have rights to custody. You don't have rights to visitation. You don't have an obligation to pay child support. And over the years... Um, that has changed, and there was a, frankly, uh, revolution <laughs> a year ago um, with the case in the Court of Appeals says it's, we can't keep having these children suffer who, just because people weren't married or just because there wasn't a legal adoption if there's been a parenting relationship between a child and a third party. So once that case um, was decided in June of 2017, since then, in just this short period of time, um, in just this one year, there have probably been about 20, 25 cases that address such issues as, can you have tri-parents? What about step-parents? Um, uh, what if you're just a, a boyfriend 
what if, what, if, what if there's an adoption, but it unravels, but you've been spending time with another person? Who's really the parent? So should there be an attorney for the child for that parent? What about, what, does, it, does what the child thinks mean anything? If a four-year-old thinks that someone, a, a, a woman's boyfriend, um, uh, feels like a daddy to her, should that person be declared a parent, even if the woman is moving on to a new relationship? Does the four-year-old's view matter? So, as you can see, um, some people think, and I've called it in my own words, kind of, too, is, is, is this now too much too late? <laughs> because um, it can cause a lot of chaos and a, and, a, and a lot of difficulty for people to plan. And I'm not even talking, obviously, in the same-sex realm. I'm really talking about in the straight realm. realm. Because people have multiple relationships over time. And at what point and under what circumstances will a third party be considered a parent? Because remember, when you're declared a parent, um, you can stop somebody from moving. You can, you can have you know, visitation. You can take custody from that person. So it's not just, oh, there'll be visitation and you're ending a friendship or um, a relationship with a child that's, quote-unquote, important. So those are the types of issues that are really a hotbed right now, um, and, I, and I think that it's not uh, just New York. It's actually going you know, along the, the country, and I think over the next few years we're going to see, I hope, um, some real lines drawn so that people don't have to worry is because my child is spending a lot of time with the third party, do I have to worry now that this person is actually accumulating rights? Because, mm-hmm. as I said, it's not just rights to visit. <laughs> it could be much more than that. It will be much more than that. Have I overwhelmed you? <laughs> no, no. I'm just, I, I hate commercial breaks. Why is money so important? And time. The tyrannies of time and money. <laughs> you know that well. <laughs> so I, I think we all know that well. Anyway, I have to go on break. And then let's go back for our remaining of the conversation. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. 
In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hi, Bonnie. So... In terms of where it's going to the cutting edge, what what do you see uh, in the areas where the, the, the law can't or has not caught up with people? What is family law struggling with right now? Well, I, well, I think that parentage issue really is the so-called issue du jour. But I think the other issue, which I, I personally find um, frustrating, representing both many men and many women... Um, is this expectation of when people have been together a number of years and they have a kind of contract, right? Uh, I, I'll, one will be the primary breadwinner. The other one will either be stay at home. Maybe they even have a degree and they gave up their degree and they decided to stay at home um, and, and be a homemaker and raise the children. And suddenly you have children who are 16, 17, 18 or a little older um, and a woman is in her later 40s, and, a, and they're both of the same kind of age, and there's a separation. There used to be an expectation that there really would be maybe not lifelong uh, alimony or, chi- or uh, lifelong alimony or spousal support, but for a good bit of time to, as a, as a matter of fairness, among other things. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think what's happening now, um, and whether it's a combination of their being, frankly, you know, many working women on the bench. You know, they used to be, the judges were all these older men, paternal, thought the woman should be taken care of because that was the deal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we have a lot of judges who are, were, you know, working class, upper middle class people who, who, who worked and felt like if, you, if I worked, you can work. And you know what? You know, you're, you're getting divorced. And yes, you're 45 now, but you know, you can go get a job and you can be responsible for yourself. And, and now there's this construct where, as I said, we live a much longer time now. You could be married 20, 25 years, um, had a very nice lifestyle. You could be married to someone who's making a very decent living. And, um, and you could have some assets, you know, enough to kind of, you know, get by. But it really will be that, that the woman's lifestyle is going to change significantly because there is no longer really an expectation that the man, or, the, or at least the breadwinner, has an obligation to support her going forward. And I see women now, you know, in their 40s, 50s, early 60s, saying, I am terrified. 
I may live another 30, 35 years mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. easily. And, and now I don't have financial security. And, and he not only has the financial security he has, but he has an ongoing income and he can retire whenever he wants, right? And he has no obligation to, to me. Maybe he'll have an obligation for 10 years. But you know what? When you're 50, 10 years is not a long time. Then you're 60. Then what? So um, mm-hmm. I am very, very concerned <laughs> that this issue um, is not being ad- addressed in a kind of politically smart, fair, hmm. equitable hmm. way. And it's another mm-hmm. one of those backlash, backlash situations um, that, mm-hmm. I, that, I, that I feel like you know, we're seeing. Mm. All right. So, so because I, I this is... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. But I, again, I, I see here, you know, that that intersection of, of, of where family law has to be so wedded to what happens economically in, in society, psychologically, you know, in, in a person's uh, developmental lifespan. I mean, there's so many different dimensions that family lawyers and, and judges have to be aware of. It's not just about the law. No, not just about it's, the law. It really is about people's lives. Um, how they see themselves. You know, I, I've seen people, you know, terrified because everything in their life is about to change and they had no control over it. And they, sometimes they didn't even see it coming. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's extremely traumatic. On the other hand, on the positive side, because I don't want to leave it just as a, as a, you know, a, a, a horrendous milieu. It's there, not just I, a shit show, as you said. It is not just a shit show, right. <laughs> There, there, it's not just a shit show. Um, I have seen, and, and I have, and, and, and sometimes I have to promise a client in front of me, man or woman, you know, um, that as hurt as they are now and as terrified as they are now and as feeling like they have lost their whole sense of self and their, and their confidence and their ego attacked and all of that, um, that, that, they are, that they are going to be okay you know, that, that whether it's a year or four years, I usually say it's about five years till you're really out of it. That, that you know, it, that's the bereavement in a sense, about five years, where mm-hmm. you can look and say, wow, I never thought that I'd feel this way about myself again, that I could meet new people, that I can even feel this way about life again. That, that does happen more than you think. And sometimes I have to make that promise. And every once in a while now I get these lovely emails or cards and, that say, you know, you promised me it was going to get better. And you were right. No. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and those are great. Those mm-hmm. are great. So what, what happens to people in divorce? You said, you, you, you describe it so well, so poignantly, you know, that they lose the entire sense of self and the foundation just falls off from oh, under. Yeah. Like, why is that? Why does it happen then? Because I think their identification and their sense of love and security and their sense of intimacy and their sense of family suddenly gets taken away from them. And I, I've heard people say many, many times, I would have rather you died than divorced me. Because it's not just the loss of that person, it's the rejection. And, and that, that means it's an ego assault that mm-hmm. is devastating, devastating. Mm-hmm. And, and, for, and, and I, I know there's lots of stereotypes about you know, divorce lawyers and, you know, as shown on TV, right, as seen on TV. But, that, but that's, it's not really like that. I mean, you know, most of us really do know how important, you know, as a lifeline we can be to our clients during this period of time and, um, and, 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 and do that. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I didn't realize what you all do until, you know, I took this little trip in, 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 into uh, custody fights and divorce. And that really, I had a whole uh, new respect for divorce lawyers. Yeah, because before, you know, I had all of this stereotype, you know, about you being sleazy. I mean, some of you are sleazy because... <laughs> But not, but not at Cohen, Ravenstein, and Schumer. No, definitely not. But but the dirty little secret really, really is that 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 you know most matrimonial family lawyers actually believe in love. You know, which means that we and we and we're we're kind of pro family, so to speak, and we believe in relationships, and 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 that's why you know helping people you know get from A to B to C to D is kind of part of the game. Yeah, I'm still thinking back to the sense of loss. Uh, you said it's yeah. the ego, it's, it's the loss of love and rejection. I'm thinking also the notion of of building a family because it's yeah. when you get to that, right? You, I think that it's sort of like you are asking to build a fortress against against life, against the unpredictability. Right. For many life. people, their whole sense of, of so-called self in the world and even to themselves is a sense of the family that they have built the home they have together, you know, the meals they have together, the vacations they have together. With the divorce, everything changes from, mm-hmm. from custody of the money to custody of the children to who, is, who did what to whom. And suddenly, people start redefining. The most horrible thing I've, horrible thing I've, I've heard <laughs> to me, consistent with what we're talking about, is when someone will come to me and say that their spouse said, I never loved you anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. It sounds like such a simple sense, uh, sentence, but it is. It is often um, you know, just totally devastating to a person's sense of self and what they thought was happening in their lives. It's a complete right. gaslight, and it's often not even true. Of course, you know, it's that it's, it's the way the other person who's leaving the relationship is trying to convince themselves to leave. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and to right, get out. Right. 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 Yeah. But to say that it's it's as close to to murder. In, yeah. in my perspective, because it that you you take you erase the story, yeah. you erase the it's history the ul- in the story. It's, it's the ultimate the, gaslight. The ultimate gaslight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So then, would the solution be to eliminate marriage? <laughs> That'll never happen. Right? <laughs> Why not? Why not? I, I, I don't believe in like fantasy uh, solutions um, because people really have a need to be together. You know, whatever they call it. You know, we we are. Well, no, no, people animals. can be together, but I'm talking yeah. about this legal binding. What does it purchase that is so necessary it, and it cause so much a, pain? In my view, honestly, I think it purchases a lot of protection that people need. You know, when when they were going through the um, uh, marriage equality uh, issue in New York right. alone, uh, we put together a, a document for the state that showed almost. 2,000 laws that are affected by marriage that are protective, oh, wow. you know, whether uh-huh. it's, yeah, whether it's the right to take care of someone, whether it's financial, social security, whether it has to do with, with taxes, whether it has, I mean, there are obviously the financial issues, um, but there are also, if someone has a car accident, you know, where, where is the loss, who owns what, what protections do you have when you have titling of um, properties together, you know, when, when you're not married, it's very easy for someone to sell property from under you, even if you are jointly titled on it, believe it or not. But if you're married, you can't do that. They're, 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 they're mm-hmm. overt protections, but they're society's way of saying, um, not that you are one, because I think that's a kind of an age-old 
concept, but that, that this relationship and the promises you are making to each other um, and the so-called betrayals or trust issues that may happen in the future will be protected in some way. So, for example, all the things we just talked about, if someone was together 35 years without a marriage and one person left and one person didn't have what the other person had, you know, what would happen? They'd be really left. Mm-hmm. No money. Perhaps not, perhaps not a home. Seriously. Perhaps not a home. Perhaps no social security. Perhaps no pension, a right to a pension they wouldn't have any longer. You know, there are right. enormous rights and entitlements that come with marriage that are yeah. too important in a civilized society. Right. It's also saying, I didn't realize this, about responsibility, that you are responsible to each other, to the right. children, to whoever that you count as family. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we would yeah. have chaos otherwise, where people start, sometimes people who are not married put together these cohabitation agreements where they say, you know, we're going to live together, and if we, if we uncouple, here's what's going to happen. Well, that might protect you in some ways over some issues, like what happens to a house or who's going to pay for what, but it doesn't protect you and the things you have no control over, whether it's mm-hmm. a, a right to sue to protect um, social, as a kid, social security, um, you know, disability from your, from your spouse, all kinds of other rights that you would otherwise have, pensions, which are tremendous as people get right. older. You, know, yeah. you can't yeah. think about the snapshot of, why does a 25-year-old have to get married? It's, 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 it's really about this lifelong process that people... The expectation is it's a, at least until death or divorce, lifelong process um, mm-hmm. where people are going to get more and more entangled. So that if they're yeah. going to be unentangled, they have to be protected. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we are, you know, coming to a close, and I, I remember my promise to tell people about that other uh, oh. moment that I had with you. And it was, I don't know if you remember, it was like at the height, at the worst of the shit show. And, and I, I, I was losing like 15 pounds and I was facing, you know, blackmail and terror and whatever else. And so I said, I remember I said to you, you know, okay, what's the strategy here? What, what do I have to do? You know, what am I supposed to do in this to get through this, to win this, you know? And, and Bonnie Raven said to me very calmly and kindly and with such conviction, uh, you said, Focus on your parenting. Just be a good mother. And that saved my life. And I'm sure to some extent my daughter's life. <laughs> so my my parting words to you all out there is choose well who you travel through this life with. Who you choose, friend, lover, lawyer, therapist, anything reflects who you are and shapes who you hope to be or can be. So the the, the choice that we make in the human beings that we keep company with, the choice that we make uh, along the way with the people that we hold hands with really determines where we end up. And Bonnie, I am so happy, so glad, and feel so lucky that in the worst time of my life, (laughs) I met you and the other wonderful women at the firm. And um, I hope that I will never, ever have to see you in your office ever again. 
but <laughs> but Except I hope that I get to see you again. A social occasion, exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, you said the next time that I get involved with someone, I have to be vetted. I have to show up and be vetted. That's so. right. I have to. I have to like exactly. Our my our choice. We have good radar for that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Well, I think you're thinking. You know, we have to perform a public service here. You know, we can't unleash her out there on the world. Um, all right, everybody. We have to end here. And next week, please join me again on Voice America. I will be talking to another dear, dear woman in my life, um, Carol Prendergast a tireless, lifelong human rights advocate. And uh, she and I will be talking about what does uh, what is this thing called human rights, right? And we're talking about what it means to be human. I thought, huh, we should really look at this, this, uh, this thing about uh, human rights. All right, everyone, be well and be well-loved. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.